0: Let's turn now to read from God's Word, back in Paul's letter to the Philippians, and this time we're going to read chapter 3, verse 1, down to chapter 4, verse 1, a slightly longer chunk. For the sake of time, we're going to focus in our sermon on the first 11 verses, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, but to get a sense of the whole section, let me read Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 1. I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Well, I used to be quite a nervous flyer when I was a teenager. Didn't really like getting on an airplane, it made me feel a bit jittery. Uh, the way I got over that was just by having to fly quite a lot. When I was studying in Newcastle, I fly between Newcastle and Belfast quite regularly. And over the course of a few years at uni, I went from being a quite nervous and jittery flyer to a very confident flyer. I went from being somebody who would listen really attentively to every single line of the safety announcement and read over that little card in great detail before the flight took off, to somebody who just would take one earphone out and sort of slightly listen in to the safety message and just kind of drift off during that part. And so I got to know that safety message quite well. Part of the reason that I didn't have to listen was that I already knew it. I could have probably, if called upon, given that safety demonstration myself at one point in my life, and one line that always jumped out at me, that always stuck with me, was when the cabin crew, they used to say, we're here for your comfort, but primarily for your safety. We're here for your comfort, but primarily for your safety. I also thought that was a really good line, because it was their way of saying, yes, we are here to help you have a comfortable flight. We're very happy to bring you peanuts and drinks and pillows and what have you. But at the end of the day, if we tell you to sit down and put your seatbelt on, you have to listen to us because our main job is to get you from A to B safely, is to get you to your destination in one piece. We're here for your comfort, but mainly for your safety. Well, so far in our studies in Philippians, in a sense, we have seen that Paul cares greatly for the comfort of his friends in Philippi because he wants them to be assured, he wants them to be built up and encouraged with gospel truth. I think it's fair to say that Paul cares about their comfort. This afternoon we see that he's also deeply concerned for their safety. His repeated encouragement throughout the letter that they rejoice, that they become active in living for Jesus. These are not just nice, inspiring, and comforting words for them to hear. Now We find out in today's passage that these are things which are key for their safe progression through the Christian life and towards their final destination, the day of Christ. As I say, for the sake of time this afternoon, we're going to focus in on chapter 3 and verses 1 to 11. But we see that this section as a whole begins and ends with two similar commands. Chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. So, in other words, this whole section of the letter is Paul ramping up his charge to the Philippians to keep going for the Lord Jesus. His charge that in the face of pressure, they must fix their eyes once again on their Lord, maintain their joy in him, and to not sway from him. And that central command that we've seen multiple times before, to rejoice, well, that is going to be the key to safety in the Christian life for them and also for us looking in this afternoon. So this is a passage which will once again lead us to joy in the Christian life. And also one which reveals to us how that joy helps to keep us safe. So once again we have two headings under which to consider that. We have the two headings. Rejoice in the Lord and look out. And rejoice in the Lord and lose out. So first of all, rejoice in the Lord and and look out. And we see there in verse 2 that the big command to rejoice is immediately followed with those words, to look out. To look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. Those are three terms which are all being used to describe the same group of people and they're all pretty severe terms. We've seen earlier in the letter that Paul is happy enough if people are preaching Christ from selfish and rivalry reasons. But here, there's a group of people in Philippi who are doing something quite different. A group of people who aren't preaching the gospel from impure motives, they're not preaching the gospel at all. And Paul is happy to hold, no, hold nothing back in calling them dogs. Uh, the Greek word is referring to wild and rabid street dogs, not the kind of tame little pets that we like to cuddle today. They're dogs, they're also evildoers, more literally evil workers doing evil deeds. They're mutilating the flesh. And that last little clause gives us the biggest clue as to who Paul is talking about. The most likely explanation here is that Philippi, like many other churches around the area, has got a group of Judaizers in time. Uh, this group of people who are insisting that if you want to be a real Christian, then you have to follow the Old Testament law. And in particular, this group would make a really, really big deal about being circumcised. God doesn't really love you unless you've also become circumcised. And that's why it's the language of circumcision that Paul then riffs off in verse 3, where he writes, we are the circumcised." Worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So, if the Judaizers were essentially saying that to really be one of God's people and to worship Him rightly, then you need to be marked out physically through circumcision, Paul's response is no, no, we are the circumcision, i.e., we have been marked out through God's gracious saving work in Christ and by the work of his holy spirit so true worship is knowing jesus and therefore having what we do made acceptable before god through the work of the holy spirit that's what true worship looks like not any physical legalistic marker that's what paul is saying in verse 3 that ultimately true believers are those whose confidence is entirely in christ and not in the flesh. There's a clever wordplay that's being used here with this talk of the flesh, because quite literally, the Judaizers were putting confidence in an act of cutting away of the flesh. But in so doing, they've got this understanding of righteousness which is fleshly. Throughout the Bible, if you were to read from the Old Testament, flesh is repeatedly this byword for finite and sinful mankind. So irony of ironies, this group of Judaizing people, their confidence ultimately is in themselves and therefore is futile. Whereas that's not where the Philippians' confidence lies. Praise God, that's not where their confidence lies suppose this is where it would be tempting to list the things in our own church cultures that we could be tempted to put confidence in whether that's uh, attending to things going to prayer meetings knowing all the best psalm tunes and to then caution against laying too much confidence in those things now it's true enough that we shouldn't lay too much confidence in them but i think the real application is slightly more subtle than that because the danger for the philippians here is accommodation It's not stop doing that, it's look out for people who are doing it. Temptation for them is to think that life will be easier in church if they just go along with what this group of people is saying. So the real question that we need to reflect on this afternoon is where are the places that we might be tempted to accommodate teaching from people who don't accept that Christ alone is the way to be made right with God? Now, that often takes the form of a Jesus plus mentality. And in our day and age, it's a lot less subtle than this group. There are very few people going around the island today telling us that if we really want to be on God's inside track, we must follow Jewish customs. But there are lots of places in the church or people claiming to be the church where we see this Jesus plus mentality. For this Judaizing group, they weren't saying Jesus doesn't matter at all, but they treated them more like an entry-level requirement for being on in the right with God. They just sort of got you in, and then the real hard work begins then if you want to be the elite-level God's people. Well, for us, that can look like this kind of attitude which says, Yes, you need Jesus, and you need my exact approach to worshiping God. Yes, you need Jesus. And you also need to love and accept absolutely everything that anybody does all the time. Yes, you need Jesus. And you also need to devote lots of time and energy into supporting the social causes that I think are important. Yes, you need Jesus. And you need to attend all of the church meetings that I go to as well. Otherwise, you're not a real Christian. Just a few ways that we see this kind of attitude alive and well in our world today. And Paul rightly cautions that flirting with any kind of teaching which lays any confidence in the ideas of man is a really, really dangerous thing, even though it may feel like the easiest thing in the world to just go along with it a wee bit. But what's more, he goes on to say that anything other than trusting in Christ alone is rubbish. And Paul himself should know. We see towards the end of verse 3, he tells him that he puts no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. It's like Paul is anticipating the response from the Judaizing group to his arguments so far. It's like they would say, well, what does Paul know? He doesn't get where we're coming from. Of course, he would say that it's all about Jesus. That's because he's a really rubbish Jew. He's rubbish at following all the rules that we follow. So of course he's going to say it's all about Jesus instead. But actually, Paul puts them right here. If there's anybody alive who could put confidence in fleshly religious observance based on the Jewish Old Testament law, it's our man Paul. After all, he himself was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, to the letter of the law, exactly when it stipulates that circumcision should be done, eight days after birth. So the opponents, they can't say, oh Paul's just saying that because he himself hasn't been circumcised and doesn't want to be, because actually he has been. He's he's one of them by birthright. And even that is of no value to him. Let me see as well. that He's of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. One of the two faithful, select, special tribes held up in high esteem. So through his circumcision and from the tribe he belongs to we see that his pedigree is absolutely watertight. And so too was his performance. Pedigree and performance. Because not only did he keep the law, he tells us he was a Pharisee. He was so fastidious in his observance of an extended, man-made, codified law that he's bold enough to proclaim that he was essentially blameless according to it. And in fact, his zeal for the law was so great that until relatively recently in his life, you would find him using his spare time trying to round up Christians and throw them in jail for not keeping the Old Testament law. So that's Paul. With that pedigree and that performance, with those credentials, he would put any of the Judaizers to shame. No one could hold the torch to what he used to be like. But all of that religious pedigree, the kind of list of achievements that anyone in this Judaizing group could only dream of having, Paul is willing to count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. It's all Worthless to him. For him the only thing that matters is knowing Jesus. And living the life of ministry to Jesus' people that he's been called to. That's all that matters for Paul. I think that's key because for the Philippians. Following Jesus and living sacrificial, others focused, gospel worthy lives. Those things that we've seen so much of before. Must have been so, so costly for them. And so when this other group of religious teachers walks up in time and they give them this other option of what religious expression can look like, I think we can imagine how it must have been quite tempting for them. We're Scottish Presbyterians and that means that we're in a a tradition which rightly, highly values holding out salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And In our heritage, we should treasure that. We should be proud to stand in that tradition. But even for us, even for people who have this rich heritage of a faith completely grounded on God's grace in Christ, it's strange how tempting it can be to revert to the rules, isn't it? I know it is for me. All the stuff that we've seen in Philippians so far about laying down our lives in sacrificial service of one another to the glory of Christ. All that stuff's actually quite hard. It's actually quite tiring. Maybe at the end of another long and tiring week of giving over our lives in service of God's people, especially if we find that our efforts aren't always met with warm reception... Maybe then, the idea of just following some rules and judging our progress compared to them can be really appealing. The idea of softening the demands of a gospel-worthy life and replacing it with just follow these simple steps, just keep these rules. That's how you know you'll be in the right with God, just following a few simple rules. But friends, tempting as those things can appear They are, in fact, worthless. They are, in fact, rubbish. It is so much better to know Christ and to follow him no matter what the cost may be. So these first few verses, then, they draw us to compare and contrast the rules-based, man-made approach, which we sometimes find tempting because it lowers the barrier for success, or knowing Jesus. Knowing him and the real forgiveness, the true salvation that he alone brings. And therefore seeing the worthlessness of anything else apart from him. Seeing the joy of knowing that it is much safer for us to know Jesus than to toy with any other notion of religious expression. We rejoice in the Lord and we look out for anybody who in any way would tell us that there's another way to be made right with God. Rejoice in the Lord and look out. But it's not just religious expression that Paul has in view, and that's why we're also told to rejoice in the Lord and to lose out in the second half of this passage. Paul, he doesn't just consider his former religious pedigree of, as worthless compared to Christ. He also considers everything as worthless compared to him. We read on verse Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We think of Paul's circumstances as he writes this letter. He really has lost everything materially along the way, hasn't he? He's lost the security of a normal line of work. He's lost the comfort of a life without following Jesus. He's lost all his material possessions as he's travelled around preaching the gospel and been thrown in jail and hence even lost his freedom. And yet, he is able, he is willing, more than willing to lose all of those things because of Jesus. Once again, that's so key that he talks about Jesus here in terms of relationship twice in these verses Paul doesn't just say that he wants to know more about Jesus and to follow more of his religion but he wants to know him and to be known by him to share in his sufferings to be found in him it's relational language that Paul uses You know that a relationship that's worth pursuing can make us act in unexpected ways. I think of a friend of mine who was courting his now wife, and when he was doing it, they had a big heart-to-heart conversation about their future. And uh, my friend, who's not usually a very emotionally forward guy, told her, it would make my heart hurt if we weren't to see each other anymore. As you can imagine, uh, that was met with much merriment from the rest of his friend group, and it made a a feature in his best man's speech. But that's what happens, isn't it? When we're pursuing a relationship with someone who who really loves us, it makes us willing to lose face with our friends. It makes us willing to act in ways that we didn't know we could. For Paul here, his heart is only satisfied in knowing Jesus and in sharing in the interests of Jesus, even sharing in his suffering. That's one of the absolute central things, one of the absolute keys to joy in Paul's own life of hardship. In being persecuted and suffering, he's just being more closely identified with Jesus, whom he loves. For Paul, nothing, nothing could be better for him than for people to look at him and say, he's quite like Jesus. And so even his sufferings become something he can rejoice in because they make him identify more closely with with the Lord he loves. So these verses just add yet another dimension to what we've seen already. I take it that for many of us, we're not actually tempted to have our heads turned by a different form of religious expression because we know that it's all about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not tempted to turn our heads away to something else. But I also imagine that all of us will have in some way been tempted to pursue another goal as well as, or even instead of, faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. This kind of thing can creep in in really subtle ways and have disastrous effects. I think of a man who I knew in a church I used to be a part of who was offered a promotion at work. And he saw it as a fantastic way to provide for his family and to look out for them. It's the kind of thing that his family had been praying about, actually, for years, probably, about God's provision. And this opportunity came along to get a few more hours at work for a promotion. So he took it. And then, when he got this promotion, he got asked to work a few more hours. And that was fine, he agreed to that. And then, he was working so hard at work that he could no longer leave his Bible study on a Wednesday night. So he had to leave that role. And then he got asked to work just a couple of shifts on a Sunday, just once or twice. So he had to miss church. And then it became every Sunday he'd be doing more and more work. And eventually, that man, very sadly, instead of pursuing Jesus, pursued more and more career success, more and more financial rewards at the cost of time with his family, and in the end at the cost of his faith. It's a really sad and particularly dramatic example of this kind of thing. It doesn't always present itself like that. But I take it that his story does serve as a cautionary tale. We can turn anything into the ultimate thing that our hearts latch onto if we're not careful. So it can be career success and financial gains for many. For many others it could be academic success, attendance at church and Bible studies. We know that these shouldn't be legalistic, rule-keeping, box-ticking exercises. But I do find it fascinating that over many years of working with students, in every church I've, I've known students who will say, without any thought or hesitation, I can't make it to church this week because I've got an essay due. And I need to work instead. Yes, life is busy. School and university are important, and we can glorify God in our approach to working hard in those spheres. But I always try and encourage genuine self-reflection there among students. Is God more glorified by me getting top marks and being on the fringes of church life or by doing the best that I can on that essay in that exam while being committed to growing in him? Now that's a challenge for the students. It can be an even bigger one for Christian parents, can't it? There's so much pressure to see our children excel in their academic life, whether it's at school or university. And so to actually encourage them to spend more time chasing worldly success at the cost of their faith. That could be another way we see this attitude creeping in. What do we want? Our children to be the most successful, financially compensated people on the island? Or do we want them to count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ? For others, it can be the strong desire for marriage and a family. Is knowing Jesus more important to me such that I'll only pursue marriage that's in line with his will and in line with biblical wisdom. And that can be a very, very costly area for some. And for many, it can be an area that feels like one cost too many. Again, I've seen several people over the years make shipwreck of their faith because the desire for companionship, which is a real thing, was too strong for them so that Jesus got pushed to the margin. It's worth saying that all of these things are good gifts. But any one of them, if we're not careful, if we don't look out, can trump our desire to keep Jesus as Lord. Yes, I'll have Jesus as long as I can first have everything else that I want in my life. Well, I take it that that's a present danger for us. It was a present danger for the Philippians as well. Which is why Paul makes it so clear that he himself has made Christ Jesus all his joy. It is as he rejoices in knowing Jesus as Lord, looking to him that he can count everything else the world offers as rubbish. Literally as dung. That's how great the gain it is to know Jesus. Not that he's one good option among many. For Paul, he's the only thing that matters. To prove that point even further he then shows how and why Jesus really is worth losing everything for we've already thought about that in terms of relationship we see two more R's: righteousness and resurrection in these verses so he writes that not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that's what makes Jesus really worth knowing is here, it's a legal term you need to be declared in the right with God. Following the law can only reveal how guilty Paul is, keeping it can never make him truly righteous. Whereas, because of what Jesus has done, as we saw earlier, because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, through his sacrifice, being found in Christ means that when God looks at Paul, he doesn't see the lists of many of Paul's sins which are stacked against him. He sees the perfect record of righteousness of his son. That's the secret to Paul's constant sense of peace and contentment and even joy. He knows that he is made righteous in Christ and that righteousness means the very real and certain hope of resurrection, our third and final R in this section. Because Paul knows both the resurrection from the dead in the future and the present power of the resurrection in the here and now again being in Christ means sharing in his resurrection the first fruits of resurrection from the dead God will work in all who trust in Christ on the last day looking to Jesus, seeing that he came from the dead, gives believers true and certain hope that one day we will come saved through death too which is a sustaining and motivating hope for Paul. But it's not just a a future thing for him. He also knows the present power of the resurrection. That's what's sustaining him through his current life of costly ministry. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is giving him everything he needs to keep going in his life of making Jesus known and encouraging Jesus' people. That's quite a quick survey of some quite big verses. But I think this is a passage which really does remind us of the true cost of following Jesus. That's not been clear already in in our studies in Philippians. It's really clear here. A life of pursuing faithfulness to Jesus will invite enmity from those claiming to be inside the church and certainly from the outside world, hating us because of their hatred and rejection of Jesus. Life, it's also a life of loss. Dying to self-righteousness and even dying to self-fulfillment and advancement as the world defines it so much of the time. Putting our natural desire secondary to our desire for Jesus. It's a life of loss. But I hope also that we've seen in this passage that we're reminded of the true gain of following Jesus too. The true gain of knowing him as saviour and Lord. Of being found in Jesus and declared righteous before God. Having therefore our most fundamental need met in a way that we could never meet. And of knowing the power of his resurrection which gives us that true and certain hope. That the world doesn't have and real life-giving strength to live for him each day so in summary as we come to a close and move towards prayer i do hope and pray that this is a passage which truly does help us to rejoice greatly in the lord we cannot put our confidence in anything outside of him and we should look out for all those who do and avoid that kind of attitude And then also as we see the righteousness that he gives in Christ. The resurrection power at work in us if we know Christ. Hope and pray that we see that even if we lose out on earthly goods along the way. True safety is found in looking to Jesus and rejoicing. So as we come to pray now we're going to pray and ask for God's help. That we rejoice in the Lord and look out for other forms of religious expression. And we rejoice in the Lord so much that we'd happily lose out on all the world affords, knowing that our deepest treasure really is in him. So with that in mind, let's stand and I'll lead us in prayer. God our Father, we thank you that we really can count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Father, we pray, therefore, that you would help us to indeed rejoice in the Lord this day. And we pray that you would help us to look out and be wary of any form of religious expression, which we may find tempting and may find catching our eye. We pray that in those scenarios, you would help us to remember the true gain of knowing Jesus and the salvation that he alone can bring, the righteousness that he alone can give. Father we pray you would help us as well by your Holy Spirit to rejoice in the Lord such that we're willing to lose out on even the things that the world considers to be the true treasures of this life. We pray you would help and make us more willing and more joyful at losing everything for the sake of knowing Jesus more deeply. We pray that you would grow and sustain our joy in him and our joy in serving his people. All these things we ask in Jesus name and for your glory. Amen. Well, we will close once again in song as we sing Psalm 4, verses 4 to 8. This is the Sing Psalms version. You'll find it on page 4 of the Psalm books. So Psalm 4, beginning at verse 4. In anger, do not break God's law. Consider and be still. Present a righteous sacrifice and wait upon his will. Psalm 4, we'll sing verses 4 to 8 on page 4. In anger. may the God of peace himself sanctify us completely and may our whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls us is faithful. He will surely do it.